Hi, I'm Jared Fuller. Welcome to Scratching the Surface. On this episode, I am joined by Lauren Buckman. Lauren is the president of Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California, and the author of a new book called Make to Know, From Spaces of Uncertainty to Creative Discovery. He also hosts the really fascinating podcast, Change Lab, Conversations on Transformation and Creativity. Originally trained in the theater, Lauren worked as a theater director, an educator, a scholar, and a college administrator. He wrote a book on the filmic adaptations of Shakespeare and served as president of both Saybrook University and California College of Arts. We begin this conversation, however, talking about his new book, Make to Know. We talk about how he reframes creative practice and how he thinks through these ideas in his own work at Art Center. We talk about how his time in the theater prepared him for running a college and the value of the connection between the studio room and the seminar room in uniting practice with theory. There's a lot in here that I think you'll really, really enjoy. If you like this show, I hope you consider supporting it on Patreon. We offer three monthly tiers, $3 for students, $5 for patrons, and $10 for super fans. They give you access to all sorts of bonus content, like a monthly newsletter, early episodes, full transcripts, and exclusive bonus interviews, all while helping to financially support this show. So if you like scratching the surface, if you want to see it continue, I hope you consider joining us on Patreon. You can visit patreon.com slash surface podcast for all the details and to sign up. Thank you, as always, for listening. And here is my conversation with Lauren Buckman. I read your new book, Make to Know, From Spaces of Uncertainty to Creative Discovery, and I really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a really great meditation on creativity and perhaps maybe a rethinking of how we think about creativity or how we think about being creative people. And so I want to I want to start there. And I, I think to frame this for listeners who are unfamiliar with the book, can you talk about this title, Make to Know, and kind of what this idea is and how you arrived at this idea of, of making to know? Make to know really is uh, um, the, the, the language I came up with to you know, express that there is a way in which we come to know our work and that we come to know ourselves in a very important way through a making process very broadly defined, moving words on a page for a writer, uh, engaging with the paint and canvas for a painter, the clay for a ceramicist, uh, the space for an installation artist like Anne Hamilton, uh, working with concepts of material time as Edgar Arsenault does, uh, working with a mask as the uh, great clown educator Jacques Lecoq did. I mean, these are all ways in which um, we engage in a making process. And I, I did want to debunk partly for my students at Art Center, but also for uh, a kind of general public, and maybe less for the professional artist and designer, though it was an, that was an interesting piece of it. The notion that um, the, the the work of the artist and designer is somehow manifesting an already preconceived idea. The the image I use repeatedly is Michelangelo seeing the angel in the stone and chipping away until he set it free. Right. When you talk to artists and designers, most of them don't work that way. Right. But they enter into a process 
um, they enter actually into a place of uncertainty. And it's, you know, the, the proverbial blank page, you know, the, uh, what that moment is about. And how they enter is also a very interesting idea that I try to explore in the book, as you know. Is it a question, an urge? Some call it a stomach ache. There are all different ways in which we go into a project, a brief for a designer, whatever it might be. But really, we enter places of uncertainty, and it's in the making itself that we come to know what the work is, what it emerges to be, how we can discover what it needs to be and how we learn to kind of listen to it. Some say recognize it. That's Anne Hamilton's words. Others talk about how we are open to the surprises that the process brings. I'm going I'm to ask you two questions. One's a more kind of personal question and then, and then a more kind of general question about the book. Um, but I'm really interested in how this idea of making to know manifested itself in the making of this book. <laughs> um, you know, you you have this term, make to know. And I found a TED Talk that you had done almost 10 years ago now, 2012, talking about improv. And you use this term, make to know, in there. And I'm wondering how, in actually putting this book together, what new things did you find out? Or how did making this... Uh, introduce you to new concepts that you were not aware of when you started? Fantastic question. Thank you. Uh, Because, of course, in the writing of this book, I was in a making process and discovered ideas Mm -hmm. and thoughts and insights that I had uh, really no idea about when I gave that TED Talk. And I think if if I I shudder to look at that TED Talk at this point now, but if I look (laughs) at that... It holds up. It's pretty good. If I look at that TED Talk... And imagine what I was exploring then compared to really what, where the, the journey that the book, uh, you know, uh, br- brought me to, I would say, uh, you know, unequivocally, it was the, it was the interviews and the writing and the countless shower moments that <laughs> brought a discovery and a, and an understanding and a knowing that was, uh, simply not present at the time I did the TED Talk. But of course, one could say the same thing about the TED Talk. Creating that, making that was also a way for me to, to start f- knowing something, forming something. And it and it's continued along. So that's one answer to your question. On the, uh, the, uh, Another way to think about it is <clears throat> that I could, as far back as I can remember, and I, and I discuss this a little in the book, um, I... I needed to engage in the making. I needed to engage in the doing. Um, And it was the big moment for me really was when I directed my first play in a directing class in college and had a teacher who just threw me in the deep end and said, you want to learn how to direct? Okay, find something and start directing it. And it was a Chekhov comedic romp called The Boer. And honestly, I had no idea what I was doing. Absolutely no idea. I knew that I needed to cast it, so I did that. Uh, right. Luckily, I landed some good actors, but that was by that was a, an accident. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I knew I had to schedule the first rehearsal, but I, I really didn't know what I was going to do in that rehearsal. Right. I, I mean, I read books and I talked to friends, and I think, but none of it really made sense. And this amazing moment that happened, Jared, when I went into that first rehearsal. 
it's like, you know, there's this uh, phrase in Aeschylus, necessity descends. And there mm. was something about, there I was. We were playing. We were batting around ideas. We were, bodies were moving in space. We were mm. thinking through certain character issues. And all of a sudden, it was the most natural thing I had ever done. And I began to engage and make and began to understand what I wanted to do. And that was the, it wasn't as if I had never experienced something like that before, where I would walk into a place of uncertainty completely and began to discover within that space of uncertainty. But it was the, the, the event that marks my right. recognition of what this might be. Right. I love that you told that story because it actually leads perfectly into what my, the kind of second part of the question was. And as you were talking about that, it was reminding me of my first time teaching, which, you know, is the same, it's the exact same situation of you directing this play where yeah, I walked into the classroom. Teaching is like that. And frankly, <laughs> yeah. being a college president is like that. Yeah. Oh, and we could talk about that, <laughs> you know, more in a second. But, you know, there was this, this sense where once I was in the room and all those students were there, suddenly I, you know, kind of knew where I had to take this. And I, you know, I didn't know what the class was going to become, but I, there was a, there was a sense that I knew kind of where, where it was going or what it was going to do. And I think that moment is interesting. And you talk about this in the book a couple times, and I, I just kind of want to hear you talk about it more and kind of pull this thread a little bit of that kind of, you know, sense of kind of knowing what you had to do you know you just kind of get into it and and you start doing it and that that is different than say you know divine inspiration that you know it's not necessarily that you know lightning bolt struck you had this idea you talk a lot in the book about you know kind of education around having the pieces there, you know, that are kind of a framework to begin to do this. It's a very right. improv idea. And I'm wondering if you can talk about this difference between sort of amateurism, kind of going in without knowing anything, divine inspiration versus knowing the tools or kind of studying the tools that kind of give you that, that place to go into those spaces of uncertainty. Do you know right. what I mean there? Yeah, I certainly do. I, I completely understand. So the interesting thing about uncertainty, and this is so relevant to our times, really, the interesting thing about uncertainty is it's a pretty frightening, uh, anxious-filled place, right? I mean, it's right. unsettling to be in uncertainty. Um, and it requires a kind of courage to go in there. And so what do we draw on to, to build that courage to go in there? You know, the, the college student who directed the Boer went in there unsure, like uh, on a hope on a, and a prayer, really. <laughs> And hopefully in my later shows, I was able to build some skill base and experience and, and, uh, um, and, and sense of priority and focus that I wouldn't have had in my initial, uh, in my initial foray. Um, so that's how I like to think about it. I like to think about our background, our education, our experience, ethics, our values, even to a certain degree, talent, though that mm. gets a little more complicated. Mm -hmm. That is all incredibly important and forms the scaffolding on which we stand as we reach into uncertainty. But there's, it's not really, but, but reach in, uh, into uncertainty, we do nonetheless. Right. Um, and, and, it, and 
the the point that you were also making regarding skill and improvisation, I think, is enormously important as well. That the the paradox is, I think, that the greater the skill, the greater the freedom to explore, mm. and that's what the great improvisers teach mm. us. They know their instruments cold. They know the music cold. Keith Jarrett could do what he did <laughs> because of ex exquisite preparation. But then, with that, he let he was able to go into a place of complete uncertainty. He concerted Colin. He had no idea what he was going to do. And there's all sorts of incredible stories around that with the botched piano and the whole thing. And he went and with the greatest one of the greatest concerts, you know, live live concerts yeah. of all time. So that so so you're right to cite that, but that's that's really how 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 I see it. Um, that that we we stand on that ground and that preparation. You know, Diana Thader, who um, I just talked to, uh, I just interviewed for my podcast too, and who mm -hmm. I interviewed for the book, and whose work is so exquisite. But she is, uh, she her her preparation, her skill, her experience is exactly what brings her to a point of readiness. To be able to respond to that moment where right. she finds what she needs, nothing that she could have ever set up, but she is prepared and ready, and 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 then can and then can go into a, 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 an unknown world and make the discovery she needs to make. You're kind of uh, tapping into something that I was thinking about as a educator reading the book and you mentioned early on in this conversation that you you wrote the book partly for your student you know for the students um and the last chapter in the book kind of moves beyond i, I struggle with the language here move beyond what we kind of stereotypically define as as you know creative mm -hmm. uh you know artists that sort of thing and you talk about business you talk about education uh and kind of how these ideas apply there and so there's this kind of sub message in the book that all of this type of work requires a certain type of creativity whether you like self-define as an artist or not which i you know i think is true and then on the flip side i'm i'm thinking about students who are you know, coming into school who maybe don't know that they have those skills already, you know, or that they have something to stand on and may be uncomfortable going into those spaces of uncertainties, like the people who self-define as I am not a creative person or I am not an artist. And I'm wondering how you think about that kind of in your position as president at Art Center, as an educator, how you think about channeling those those skills, those values, that that background, that kind of scaffolding that you're talking about. So somebody, I, I don't even know the word, is it confidence? Is it, uh, you know, to go into those places, to kind of know that through doing this is how I learn what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I, I for me, the word is courage. Mm, mm, that's a good word. Yeah. And I've said um, on more than one occasion, um, you know, we tend to repeat some of these ideas sometimes <laughs> yeah. as college presidents and in other places too, um, that what we teach at Art Center is courage. Mm. And so to define that a little bit more than is exactly along the lines of what you're asking. And, and, and that is the courage to make, the courage to go into uncertainty, the courage to be able to engage in a process to, um, that is 
you know, informed by the kind of skill, the thoughtfulness, the reading, the community, mm -hmm. the world that one can draw on to give one courage to go into these places of the unknown and find, recognize, explore, surprise, however they may characterize it. Um, and, 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 and to move forward on that. So that's, so when I say it's, I wrote it partially for my students, it really does come down to how many students I spoke to, and frankly, how many faculty I've, I've spoken to as well, who talk about the fact that their, their, their students, when, when, usually when they come to Art Center, don't, don't, most of them don't quite get that they don't have to have it all figured out before right. they start. Right, exactly. And so we develop a curriculum in which we throw them in the deep end. Mm -hmm. And the deep end learners really thrive at Art Center. We don't mm -hmm. talk about it. We don't read the books first. We don't. We give them some skill for sure. But okay, here's the project. Go in and let the work, let the making, let the mistakes, uh, let the discoveries, let that inform the conversation. But afterwards, let that you know the questions that are are. The product of the of the applied work of the making of the engaging. It's that's really interesting, and it's also interesting to kind of think about in the context of your work and the and your kind of career trajectory. I mean, you mentioned your background in the theater earlier. You mentioned being you know kind of tasked with directing that play, and that is very much kind of going in the deep end. From from what I was able to kind of research and and kind of figure out, it sounds like your move from kind of teaching into administration happened very quickly and was kind of thrown into the deep end. Yeah, uh, that's, for, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and and you've, you've talked about how your, you know, being a theater director is kind of the perfect uh, training to be a college president. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that more and kind of use that maybe as an example to kind of talk about this, this like scaffolding and this kind of you know, skill in not having everything figured out, but having things figured out in this other thing to kind right. of prep you for the right. new exactly. thing. Can you talk about that a little exactly. bit? Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, for, first of all, the, just the, for me personally, the work of directing a play and the work of being a college president draws on exactly the same kind of, uh, um, uh, personal sort of drive and experience and resources. Um, and I, you know, I, I will say till the day I die that being a, a theater director was the best preparation I could have possibly <laughs> had to be a college president. And when you think about it, I mean, you know, a, a director has an idea, goes into a, a rehearsal process and that's a kind of that space of uncertainty and begins to engage a community. Mm -hmm. And that idea, which is an entry point, becomes developed and shaped by that community of actors and designers and a variety of different other people who are part of a community working on that. And then it gets changed and it gets improved and there are discoveries along the way. And then the director's work is about handing that over increasingly to the, really to the cast, to the actor, where the mm. most important moment happens between a spectator and a performer. And then nobody's thinking about the director. I mean, that, that and nor should they be, right? And, and that's, that's, that's my experience as a college president that, you know, I have my ideas, I have my values, I have my thoughts about what education can be and should be and 
ways in which we need to open ourselves. But there's this wonderful community I work with, and they wrestle with the idea, and they make the idea better, and they begin to own it themselves as much as possible, and it becomes a very collective notion. Mm. And then what's happened is you've empowered that moment, in the case of education, between a faculty member and a student, between a student and a student. I mean, it happens in different ways, but there's a, a moment that's empowered, and nobody's thinking about the college president, and nobody should. <laughs> It's completely irrelevant, but something has been handed over. And that's that's the that so that's the one way in which I see the work being very, very similar. I mean, look, Lauren, I've obviously never been a college president, not even kind of close to being a college president. But I've often thought about administrative roles in higher education, which is, you know, kind of my world and thinking how being a graphic designer is kind of the perfect setup because it's thinking about organizing information, generating audiences, thinking about how you kind of communicate ideas in simple ways to get other people excited about them. And I wonder if there's something where kind of the skills you know become the lens through which you see the new thing, you know, how that kind of shapes how you approach it. Absolutely Uh, right. Absolutely right. And there you go, just in the way you describe that. So there's this kind of, you can transfer these skills. And it gets back to the point you're making earlier about kind of, you know, creativity is not limited to a a few geniuses around, but in fact, that we all kind of operate on it. And we can begin to think of our lives not as manifesting some preconceived vision and how many people do we know who are stuck because of that, Mm -hmm. but that life is a kind of making itself and Mm -hmm. our lives are making. And, uh, you know, whether we're, um, you know, brilliant painters or writers or whether we are, are, you know, involved in areas of life that have seemingly nothing to do with creativity. I think that process is going on. And then specifically, I mean, look what you have, um, you know, if you can, if you can, if we can begin to conceive of our lives as, and our work as, you know, braving places of, of not mm. knowing and remaining open as long as we can to discovery, I think we can experience a kind of pure joy of learning that mm. can compel us to do all kinds of things from teaching to administration to uh, creating artifacts to creating a roundabout in a in a, in a city in in the Netherlands that <laughs> right. allows people that saves lives you know as an example right. I use in the book right? right in Holland sorry I'm very interested in administration and I'm very interested in sort of two parts of administration. I'm interested in sort of the intersection between what we think of as administration and what we think of as creativity, and then also what we think of as administration and what we think of as scholarship. And you kind of operate at both of those intersections. And I'm curious how you think about your job as a college president, both as a creative endeavor and how these ideas of of making to know that we're talking about are still a part of your work, but then also how you think about that, you know, that idea of discovery and uncertainty mixed with 
the sort of like immediacy of things you have to do, you know, balancing the budget, you know, emails from students and faculty, you know, all of that kind of stuff. How do, how do you still, you know, balance that with this, uh, you know, creativity and uncertainty part of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, um, I, my immediate response to that, though, I I might want to go a little deeper in a minute, um, <laughs> depending on how much courage I have. But yeah, go um, for it. I would love for you to go for it. <laughs> but the, the immediate re- response is that you know the the work of a of an administrator, the work of a college president, anyway, does happen on different levels, and um, I think there is a very kind of practical day to day experience in which. You just need to get certain kinds of things done, right. and um, you're right. It just it's it's you know, and and th- there is a kind of operational necessity that you need to face. Um, uh, but on the sort of larger sense of direction and movement of an organization, it's quote unquote vision. Though it's not a word I love to use, as you know. <laughs> um, but a, 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 a direction, a set of values, a, a, a set of driving questions, of issues, of aspirations, all of that really does, I think, for me, become a, a kind of making um, in mm. community that begins to give shape to an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if, if you accept that kind of those different levels of, of yeah. working that, that I think are there. The, the the slightly deeper issue for me, um, or maybe not so slight, is that, you know, so much of what we learn, what we struggle with, the greatest books that we've written, the ideas and conversations that we've had, movies we've seen that mean so much to us, opens a, a sense of the ambiguity of human experience in really interesting ways. And I see it that way. And, mm. you know, I, that Beckett's always calling for gray in his, his, his mm. uh, plays is, is no accident. I mean, they're, they're, it's very, the black mm. and white, especially in today's discourse, is something that gr- grates on me mm. because I, I, I have learned and I have struggled always with these questions of that, that human experience is ambiguous and it's, when, when you hear a politician bang the table and say, this is the way it is, you know that that's not just the way it is, mm. no matter what side mm. you may be on, or at least mm. I do. I mean, that's sort of mm-hmm. how the mm-hmm. my, my own education, my thinking, and what I respect so much about the greatest books I've ever read. So, mm-hmm. so, so okay, so then we bring it back to your question about being an administrator or a, a college president. You... you being a leader that hovers in ambiguity is not the most effective way to go, right? <laughs> right, right. So, so, uh, so that has been a very deep question for me: is how do I make choice amidst right. ambiguity? And I'm not going to sit here and answer that question. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you that that's been a struggle because I know I need to make that choice, but I don't forget about the fact that I know there are lots of different dimensions always operative. And I, you know, it's been right. one of the great challenges of, of my work as a leader, to be honest. I, I, let me, I think that's exactly right. And I'm going to ask you a very selfish question that's like, you know, just kind of very practical because it's something that is on my mind right now because I, I think I'm very similar to you and that I'm, I'm comfortable with ambiguity. I like, I like being in that, you know, that's why I'm in the type of work that I'm in. 
but I'm I'm also you know think that I'm I'm fairly good at uh, <laughs> organized administration. You know, all of that kind of stuff I can do. Also, I can't do both of those things at the same time, though. Uh, one of them always suffers, and so I'm in the middle of advising season right now. So I'm just meeting with students all day long, you know, helping them register for classes, and my research is not happening right now. This kind of other, like, I don't have that time for that deeper reflection. How do you, how do you kind of balance those? And I don't like the word balance, but I don't have a better word there, but how do you think about moving between both of those, the sort of the immediate, the organized, the certain versus the reflection, the deep thinking, the uncertainty? It's a great, it's, well, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful question, really. I, 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 you know, I think, um, I, and let me know if this answers it. I think that, um, you know, as the novelist Amy Bender says in the book, you know, she she sets aside 90 minutes a day and, you right, know, for her right. first novel, she tied herself to the chair, right? Right, right. Um, or what Roseanne Summerson talks about, how she teaches her students they can't leave because yeah. uh, the classroom, because the she says in this beautiful reflection, the body doesn't like being uncomfortable and so it wants to move away. But if you if if you set that rule that you can't leave, then you begin to go into these places of discomfort that can be wonderful and mm-hmm. fertile places of discovery. So with that, I guess that's the notion that comes to mind that I do, tr- I I do try to find those mm. because I could be swamped by the the everyday details for sure, but right. I do have to discipline myself to find those times for the writing for the podcast for that matter mm-hmm. um, and for great conversations for the times I can spend with my colleagues at art center, exploring bigger questions and ideas, metaphorically tying myself to a chair of something larger. Otherwise I will be drowned by the everyday details. And there are so many, as you know, right. I mean, that's exactly why I asked you that question is because you are, you know, dealing with these in the midst of a pandemic where questions of education are, are, you know, completely changing. And somewhere in there, you also wrote this book and you're recording a podcast, which is very clearly deeply researched. And so you somehow figured out a way to do both of them. Right, right. I tie myself to a chair, basically. (laughs) I think that's really true. Got it. Yeah. I uh, I listened to an interview that you had done uh, a while ago, and you were talking about your early education, and that the, the the school that you went to had an emphasis on both kind of the the overlap of practice and scholarship, which is something that has really run through all of your work. And I'm curious if you could kind of talk about how you think about that now, kind of both being a uh, you know, training as a theater director, working working in the theater, but also writing about it, thinking about it, moving into education, um, and now and you know now running an, an art school. How, how do you think about both the making and the thinking? And this, in many ways, comes back to the, the early conversation about the book. Where does that the the kind of the thinking and the scholarship come in here? The program um, and the part of my background that, that um, you're referring to really has to do with the PhD program in drama at Stanford. And what drew me to it was exactly that. And uh, so this was, I, I, this was going back to 1979. I'm revealing something about my age here, but, <laughs> uh, but I was very young. Um, and uh, 
and um, the, the, what drew me to the program was that it was a PhD um, in theater, um, but it was simultaneously a professional right. program in, right. in, in, in directing. And the very, the fundamental of it, the basis of it was that the, um, if you wanted to be a great director, um, you needed to understand the world you were entering, the history mm. of the theater. You needed to have an ability to um, understand and wrestle with dramatic literature. You needed to find inspiration and courage, frankly, in the history of a theater right, uh, or the theory and the, the criticism behind it that could help drive you to the deepest kind of thinking and the deepest kind of work as a director. Um, and similarly, if you're going to be a great theater scholar or critic, you needed to understand how the theater worked. And so those two, the, the, the life in the rehearsal hall and the life in the seminar room were mutually nourishing. Mm. And then, and, and that meant so much to me and did inform my career so that I could, um, you know, early in, in the early nineties, I wrote a, a book on Shakespeare films too. Right. And, and that was a, that was also a way of trying to bring both the scholarly and the practice um, together in the most, you know, uh, encouraging kind of way or, or nurturing kind of way. I mean, and uh, and so imagine my delight when I left Berkeley, the faculty of Berkeley, to go to CCA, and mm -hmm. there was this entire institution. This this group. <laughs> You know, like like all, right. all of our ACAD schools, really, and so much of what we do, which is fundamentally fundamentally based on that kind of idea, that you know there right. is the the work that our students do in the studio, but we also want them to read books. We also want them to know the community that they are entering. We also want them to understand something about the work that others have done in this area or how they talk about it or the driving questions that are involved. Mm -hmm. So that life of the mind and that life of the hand can work together in the most productive and beautiful ways. And so I, it was like I was home again when I, when I got there. And of course, Art Center is, 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 has its own version of that that I find incredibly inspiring. I, I love that. And I, I think the way that you said that is so well said. That's so, that's, that is the core of so much of my work is this intersection between mm. sort of practice and theory or, or, or practice and scholarship. And, you know, that's, as we were talking about before we hit record, that was kind of the, the impetus for me to even go back to school was because I couldn't figure out how to bring those together. I always tell my design students that, and actually this kind of goes back to make to know now that I think about it, um, that every generation of graphic designers has to redefine what graphic design is for that generation. Right. I mean, right. when I was in school, there were no apps. And now that's what most of my students are, are designing. And so having that theoretical framework can help, you know, set the course of what that next kind of generation is. I think the way you talked about the theater hall and the seminar room are connected uh, is, is such a great, you know, kind of metaphor there. I have, I have just a couple quick questions. Um, to wrap up, I'm curious what your relationship to the theater is now. Are you, do you, I mean, do you have time to kind of be involved in that work at all anymore? Uh, well, as I say, I'm directing a very big play at Art Center <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> called Art Center. Right. Um, 
so so that that's what's happening. And and the truth is, no, I've not been. I haven't been. Um, I certainly haven't been directing. I I I go to the theater. I read right, about the right. theater. I have friends in the theater. I talk, but. Um, but you know, in a post art center life, I intend to um, I intend to explore that and probably go back. I miss it. That was that was my next question, and we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to. But you did announce that you're retiring. Is yeah, it at the end yeah. of this academic year? So it is. spring 2022. So okay. It'll be at yeah uh, end of June of 22, right? Okay. I was I was curious what's next. Uh, you know, kind of you know what you obviously you know you probably just want to relax a little bit but um you know what, what you're kind of thinking about next what's top of mind and what that kind of post art center you know kind of career might look like and if theater was a part of that do you have thought have you thought about that much yeah theater, theater is definitely a part of it and um i w- i am i have all kinds of ideas about some projects i would i would love to do um in the theater i i have i think i have another book in me mm. um and it it, I think it, it it will touch on some of the ideas we talked about today um, mm. um, regarding uh, that Bacchetti and Gray and and uh, yeah yeah how how we wrestle with ambiguity and how that's related to our creative lives too. I think there's some really there's some early thoughts about that, um, and there's a documentary I'd like to make as well. Oh wow! Yeah. And I'm wondering if even some of the stories that we ex- uh, that I I was able to explore and make to know whether or not some of those stories might be part of that as well. So that makes sense. Yeah, there's there's uh, I, I, you know at this point it's at a very rudimentary stage. I don't know if it's going to um, right. come to life that way or not. But I, I I have a lot of interest. So there I feel I feel to be completely frank with you. I, I I'm I, I'm moving into a very different kind of creative phase of of my life and I'm excited about that. And so mm. I think that's what I want to try to make space for. That, that sounds, sounds very nice. I'm curious, however theater returns, especially thinking about this kind of practice and scholarship, how you would approach it differently. You don't have to answer that. It's not necessarily a question, but you know, now with this kind of breadth of experience, how does that change how you you know, work in that space again yeah. is kind of interesting to think yeah, about. It is. It's a great question. Yeah. My last question, and this is the question that I used to end all of these. I'm just interested to hear what you're reading right now. Mm. Well, y- you may know, I don't know if you were able to, to um, get hold of this information, but you may know that, that the reason why Jessica Helfand's book on the face, one of the reasons why it was so meaningful to me is that, you know, 21 years ago, I woke up with a paralyzed face. Right. Uh, I heard about this. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, had, had Bell's palsy, which was a kind of a two year ordeal. And then it turned into something called synchronesis, which means, you know, the nerves grow back in different ways. Mm. And when you smile, your eye closes and when your eye closes, oh. your neck juts out and it, it's all oh, kinds wow. of, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, the playwright Sarah Rule um, uh, just published a book called Smile. Mm. And it's, um, I, I don't know if you've read anything by her. Uh, she's a Tony award-winning playwright. Um, yeah. uh, she's, she's so amazing and has just a, the most amazing writing style. Anyway, the book on Smile is because she, 10 years ago, 
or no more than that now she gave birth to twins and had postpartum bell's palsy and it lasted for a period of 10 years yeah and it's her i think the first sentence of the book um paraphrased here is something like you know i woke up one morning and my smile left my face you know took took a Mm. walk or something like that um wow and so reading about that and the experience and the deep frustration of feeling something internally and not being able to express it through the face mm-hmm. um, is a is a kind of a tension and a problem of that's very unusual um, and speaks to me in a pretty deep way and what that experience wow. was um, and she gives language to it that is very meaningful to me um, so that's what I'm reading. And, you know, to lighten it up a bit, she's hilarious about it. Too. Um, she's an incredibly oh, funny writer. And, um, uh, you know, there's there are passages in the book that in which I was laughing out loud um, just to to have that experience. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm reading right now. That, that sounds that sounds great. Uh, I'm familiar with with Sarah's work. I've not read any of it, um, but it sounds like I, I should do that. I might have to add that to it's, the list. It's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful book. I'm I'm not totally done. I mean, but yeah, uh, yeah it sounds. I, fascinating. I think I know how it ends. However, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, well, well, your book, Make to Know, I loved, um, and I really enjoyed this conversation. I, I found it illuminating and also very, just kind of, like I said, very selfishly, very helpful for me and things I'm thinking about in my own work. So, Lauren, thank you for doing this. Thanks for taking the time. I really enjoyed this. Oh, was it? It was a delight. Thank you. Thank you so much. This episode was recorded on October 13th, 2021. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can support the show on Patreon and find previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.